0: That's NOom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 96 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Picture List Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire Pod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grave. That's all spelled out. And I'm once again, joined by Kevin Hasting, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hasting Kevin. And we've got, this is part, I guess, two Kevin of our like little podcast <laughs> marathon that we're doing. which We recorded with, with Rob over at the pull Hitter podcast last night. We're recording right now, and then we've got our part two of this little series, our streaming series, recording later on this afternoon. We'll be putting these episodes out back to back. You think you'll uh, you'll get sick of me at, at that point?
2: <laughs> Absolutely not, man. <laughs> we're talking baseball, I'm in.
1: All right. We got lots to cover, and we got, luckily, all three of these, two of ours, and then with Rob, we've got some great people to talk about it with. Today, we're going to be talking... Strictly about streaming hitters versus streaming pitchers. We'll be hitting on the pitchers in, a, in the next episode for this one. We brought in some big guns who knows all about maximizing plate appearances and at-bats through streaming hitters and, and drafting as such. And that's Steve Weimer, regular contributor over at Baseball HQ. He's got some things in the forecaster. Also contributed at the FTN draft guide as well. It's one of the hardest working in-season fantasy players you'll ever come across, and it shows in the results of his NFBC history. We're going to pick Steve's brain a bit about how what, that work he does put in when it comes to streaming hitters throughout the season. But before we get into all that, Steve, just thanks, man, for taking the time and being here with us. How are you doing?
3: That's my pleasure. I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, appreciate the invitation.
1: Yeah. talk. Can you give whatever reason, somebody's not familiar with your recent success. Can you walk through everybody your, how do I put this, like your trophy chest of the last two years or so in the, especially in the NFBC and the work I alluded to and the success that you've seen.
3: Okay. Yeah, you put me on the spot a little bit. Yeah, sorry. I that. That wasn't in the sheet.
2: Did you bring uh, so your resume, I was- Steve? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I,
3: don't, I would not prepare a full resume. So the things that are easy to remember, um, <laughs> are that in 2021, I was second overall in the draft champions. And then last year I got second and sixth in the main event. In neither case was I close at all winning. They were both settled weeks in advance. And I think the main event, I moved up a bunch of last weekend. There's second through like 10th or 12th was all really tight, but yeah, I was lucky to cash in the overall in both of those, the last two years.
1: Yeah. It's nothing, to, whether you're not, you were. In, in the running for first, as you say, but it, it doesn't matter. Like th- those three accolades in the last two years are enough to, <laughs> to realize that the work you're putting in, both in a draft and hold and in Fab Leaks, the main event, one of the biggest ones, it, it speaks volumes. So we'll get into that, all of the kind of strategy that you utilize to, to show that kind of success in a little bit. But for now, we do have some news we're gonna hit on some recent signings specifically hitters to stay in tune with what we're talking about in the episode not major signings most of the major signings have already happened but we these things can work their way into our fantasy relevancy throughout the course of the season so it's good to just be aware of what's going on to start off in arizona kevin the diamondbacks signed evan longoria to a one-year deal and I loved seeing from Diamondback quote fans being all pissed off about it. But really, when it comes down to, I think it was a four million one one-year deal. Can't really see from a baseball perspective why that's a bad thing to have a veteran presence on your team like that. But what kind of fantasy relevancy can we hope to expect from Longoria now that he is in Arizona?
2: Well, it's... Intriguing to me is we've seen other moves similar to this from Arizona this offseason. And each time one of these moves occurs, I go to roster resource and the newly signed player is slotted in at designated hitter. And another signing happens, things get shuffled around and the new guy is listed as the new designated hitter. And that is the case at the moment with Evan Longoria. I think Of course, it boils down to health. We've got just about half a season out of Longoria the past two years. And when he's in there, he's still performed, especially in the power and home runs and RBIs have been there over a half a season. The last two seasons, it's still there. So if he can stay healthy for any stretches, he's definitely someone that we could want in our lineups. It's just. But this is one of those moves that it's going to be difficult to really pinpoint for me until we see what they're doing in spring training and how he looks health-wise in spring training. But I think it's an intriguing move. And in stretches where he's been healthy over the past two seasons, he's still been really good, especially in the two main power categories.
1: Steve, are you, I'm going to put you on the spot here too, because I didn't put this in the notes, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious for this take of this signing, are you assuming or afraid that this Longoria signing is going to hurt the playing time of anybody else in the infield, obviously, especially at third base for Arizona at this point that you might've been targeting prior
3: to that? Yeah. So I think it could potentially impact Josh Rojas. That's the most obvious impact. At the very least, I think it would be a platoon and I've never really been in on him. I haven't paid close attention, but it seems like Arizona is not like super committed. Like they benched him in September. There's a quote from the manager about working on defensive fundamentals, which isn't like super encouraging to <laughs> hear. They're bringing in these other bets. I don't know. I would be wary of counting on too many play appearances from Rojas. And I agree Like with what Kevin said, that Longoria has been productive when he's healthy. And I guess he's a good, this fits well for the streaming kind of theme because, mm-hmm. you know, if he's healthy and has some good matchups, he's the kind of player who could be on and off the rosters, at least the 15 team leagues, I think.
1: Yeah. I always go back all the way back to one of Jeff Sermon's first mining the news from the season where he actually pointed out that Josh Rojas didn't have a guaranteed everyday role With the Diamondbacks, again, that's in October. Lots of things can change throughout the course of the offseason, but this is not the step in a direction that's going to provide Rojas with more of a solid playing time, as you alluded to as well. All right, Steve, let's go to the Yankees. They made another deal, a non-roster signing, though, of Willie Calhoun. He signs a non-roster deal that does include an invitation to spring training. We will see a lot more of these signings happen in the next month or two. Can you see Calhoun actually winning himself a roster spot uh, on the Yankees and becoming fantasy relevant in New York by opening day?
3: It's hard to see. Maybe winning a spot, becoming fantasy relevant was a bit a bit tougher. So he could be, there's some pedigree there, right? He could be like a good watch list guy. If he's hitting well in the spring and there's buzz around him, then maybe it could be worth an ad. I was Checking his numbers, like any, when a lefty goes to Yankee Stadium, you check their pull numbers and his are pretty low. He's not historically been much of a pull hitter. So that's another thing to look for. If he is like talking about working on a swing and trying to pull more and then that shows some results in spring training, then maybe, but there's a few ifs there. And uh, I think he's got a few people to leapfrog if he's going to get even like a strong side platoon role.
1: Kevin, are you looking at any options, like fourth outfield options for the Yankees, just based on, especially if they're a lefty bat, does that interest you enough to take note of this signing? They also, the Yankees also signed, I think, Billy McKinney to a minor league deal with an invitation as well. we spent a little bit of time with the team last year as well. The fact that he's a lefty and he has the pedigree, as Steve said, is this enough of an interest for you to keep an eye on Calhoun? Or is this not a situation that you're paying much attention to?
2: I don't think I'm paying too much attention yet. I think it it would be worth keeping an eye on if it does begin to appear that he may get some of that playing time. But I think these are depth moves right now, and I don't think the Yankees are hoping they need him. I think it's just a depth piece, and they hope this move wasn't necessary, and they don't even have to pay much attention to him, let alone us. Yeah, I think a lot of things would have to happen. And there are things that could happen. They got some older guys that have had injuries in the past. So something could come up where then he would become interesting, but I don't think we're at that point yet.
1: All right, another guy that probably everybody's not too interested in, but Kevin, I'm going to start with you for obvious reasons here. Ryan O'Hearn got DFA'd by the Royals, ended up being traded for cash. So the figurative bag of balls to Baltimore. Can he carve out a spot? Or I, I have this fear that Rhino Hearn is going to be like the next Lewin Diaz who just gets DFA'd, signed for cash, DFA'd, signed for cash, and then for the next all the way up until spring training until he finally finds something. Am I wrong on, on that assumption? Or what's your take on Rhino Hearn being in Baltimore now?
2: Man, I'd like to echo the sentiments of a tweet Vinny Pasquantino put out yesterday. And it was, I hope Bro hits 40 home runs. Right. I mean, he, I, I don't know him personally, but from all accounts and, and everything I've seen, he is just a great person, teammate. And he just, it just seems as if, unfortunately, he might be a 4A player. He tears up Triple A, has been for several years now. And it just, Hasn't quite translated at the major league level. The home runs have been there. I'm 14 home runs and 370 plate appearances back in 2019, even nine and 254 plate appearances in 2021. They weren't there last season. However, he did come through as a pinch hitter very often. I don't know if that's something that, that many people that don't watch the Royals on a daily basis would realize he was used as a pinch hitter throughout the season, very often and performed well in that role with Baltimore an improving team, improving lineup. If they see something that a slight adjustment is going to help him better at the big league level, it would be great. And I'm rooting for him, but he's not a target at this point.
1: What I find interesting, and there's a tweet that I have a recollection of, but I can't find who it was came from, so I apologize, that it was that they tendered him a contract, the Royals did, and then they DFA'd him. Like, why didn't you do it in the opposite way? Grant, it wasn't that far apart in time either. I don't know what changed so much for the Royals that they had to DFA him at that time, and they couldn't make that decision earlier if he was on that cusp, but- Either way, Steve, do you see O'Hearn actually making any kind of a leap with the Orioles? I think the Orioles are making some interesting, confusing moves in from a lot of Orioles fans who thought they'd be a lot more aggressive in the free agent market this offseason.
3: Yeah, I thought this was a little confusing at first, but it makes more sense hearing Kevin describe kind of his strengths, especially if it's known as a good teammate and pinch hitting and things like that. I mean it, I was thinking one point four million seems like a lot to to pay for a bench bat, but I guess it's twice the minimum now or something like that. Maybe it's a lot you
1: know, yeah. from my
3: perspective, but maybe he's not. <laughs> not for baseball. So yeah, I was, my first thought was like, I hope it doesn't take away the bats from some of the young players, but if it couldn't be pinch hitting and stuff like that, then yeah, I guess it can make a little bit of sense. But if that's the role that they see for him, then obviously not a lot of fantasy relevance.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine him taking away the types of plate appearances from the guys that he would be filling in for at third base at first base. But we'll see, injuries can happen. We hope they never do, but we all know that they will. So, with that kind of power stroke, maybe he can take advantage may- as long as he's not hitting it to l- hitting it over the the wall that's a little bit further away now in Baltimore. Another guy took I feel took a while to sign. I thought he'd sign a little bit earlier. As Dominic Smith non-tendered by New York by the Mets and now signing in staying in the NL East Steve Standing with the Washington Nationals. Can you see Smith carving out a role with the Nationals where he becomes again same question as as earlier Bec- where he actually becomes relevant again in fantasy, especially with the pedigree that we've seen out of him in the past where everybody was just getting all pumped up
3: about. Yeah, I think so. This move makes a lot more sense. Seems like the kind of player that a team guess in the point of the process that the Nationals are, should be going for. Skills haven't changed all that much from when he was a successful hitter. He's actually had... Reverse splits. So maybe it's not just a, a platoon. So he could end up being, at the very least, a decent draft and hold option, I think. Like, at enough playing time, he's not going to, his average isn't going to kill you, like m- middling, at least power. And he showed in 2020, I think it was, that he could be relevant in smaller formats as well. So, yeah, I think it definitely puts him on the radar.
1: Kevin, is the fact that he's going from city field to a park a factor in this situation for is it or is it just what kind of role Smith is going to get with the Nationals which aspect of that move has you either more excited or less excited
2: I'm most interested to see where he ends up in the lineup I think he will be close to an everyday player I agree with Steve probably more than a platoon roster resource has him as the left-handed platoon guy but with those reserve splits that Steve alluded to if he's gonna play versus righties he should probably be in there versus lefties as well but they also roster resource also has him in the eight spot right now Chris is as good as anybody putting these guesses together this time of year and so I'm really intrigued to see this because as we brought up several times this offseason I, I like good hitters on bad teams, but they really need to be towards the top of the lineup, especially on these bad teams uh, for the run and RBI totals.
1: Yeah. And I alluded to the fact that the national park is a little bit more friendly than city field. It is, but it's not nearly, at least if you're looking at StatCast park factor numbers, it's a, it's around the middle of the pack. Overall, little runs a little bit hot, hotter for home runs, but the things that it, City Field is so low in both of those, both below average in both of those categories that it, when you make a move like that, you got to take some kind of note as far as how, if a player can actually take advantage of those, the new environment. All right, last one here, Kevin. We have, we talked about this a couple of weeks. I was wondering how it was going to work out and Eric Hosmer does find a new home. He's, and he finds it with the Cubs. And the, we joked about this at one point. I know I have personally Does this do enough to hurt the value of Matt Mervis, who everybody would thought might become a top 200 pick after we after you saw him at at first pitch and over the Arizona Fall League? Or do you think there's the Mervis can do enough to doesn't matter? He's still going to make his way up.
2: I I think the worry here for those that have already drafted Matt Mervis and are considering doing so in the near future is this may mean he starts at triple A. He's not on the 40 man roster yet, I don't believe. And if they I should have double checked that before I said that. No, he's not. (laughs) And okay, so he's still not. And. He's probably not someone they think will compete for the rookie of the year. He could, if he just goes Mash. on our power, <laughs> power number, but I don't think that he would be considered one of the favorites, even if he does start the season. So we're back to time clock manipulation being a real possibility here. And, not, and then it's not, if Matt Mervis does make the team, who does lose the playing time? Eric Cosmer's probably going to play quite a bit, if not every day, pretty close to it, at least for a while, unless he's absolutely horrendous. And the beginning of last season, he was pretty darn good. I think most of those eight home runs came in the first month because I had a couple of teams where I ended up using him quite often early in the season. It fell off, and I didn't have him in my lineup much the rest of the way, but for a while, he was pretty, pretty darn good last season they get we have Patrick Wisdom right now they roster resource has morell at third base and Wisdom as a bench bat this could affect all kinds of players up and down this lineup Mervis morell Wisdom as I said right now is a bench bat they got one of our favorites there Zach McKinstry I'm still hoping he can, <laughs> he turns into it an everyday big league ball player. So I this kind of affects quite a bit, but we don't know in which direction yet. My hunch is Mervis starts the season in A. Wisdom is in there as the designated hitter. morell struggled towards the end of the last season or a lot of the second half after being so good when he first came up. He could lose playing time. There's a lot of different moving parts here that could be affected more than just Matt Mervis. But my hunch is with this move, I can see him starting out in A.
1: The thing about Mervis and the whole rookie of the year thing that you brought up, he I don't know that he's going to qualify for the extra bonuses. He's not, I don't have... Baseball America's top 100 up in front of me, but the pipeline, he's not on the pipeline, the MLB's top 100. And I know to qualify, players have to be on two out of the three of those major uh, prospect rankings to start the season's. Maybe MLB pipeline could update it and just throw him in 99 some right before the season. I'm not (laughs) sure. Um, I'm sure there's some manipulation that could happen in that realm if the Cubs want to scratch someone's back over there. But he might not be. He might not qualify. So that's might not even be like an added incentive to put him at in opening day status. Steve, in any of your earlier drafts, have you been have you been taking a chance on Mervis? And the other side of this is Eric Hosmer. Can he actually be? He's more than likely going to play on a regular. Basis at first base for the Cubs is this a is this an environment in which Hosmer can actually get back to some kind of again fantasy relevancy? That's the theme of this news cycle for us this week.
3: Yeah, I think draft and hold relevance. Right, if he's playing and he's never, I don't think he's my perception of him, but he's never really had a bad average. So he's not going to hurt you if you need to fill in. My understanding of his like contract situation is he's getting paid the same regardless of where he signed. So the assumption that everyone's making is that he was going to sign with whatever team is going to play him. That's what he was negotiating for, some kind of assurance there. So if that's right, we can assume things can change, but he should at least be in the plan to get pretty regular playing time. Yeah, I don't think anyone should be excited about drafting Eric (laughs) Posner.
1: That's been true for Um, the last couple of years. (laughs) But
3: but still, someone should draft him in these deep legs. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't
1: seen it. And then I asked this question before. Because he got DFA'd and he signed, quote, a new contract with the Cubs. I wonder if he still has his or if he was able to negotiate his no trade clause, which he had. It got activated when he got traded to the Red Sox. It was partial mm-hmm. no trade clause. It activated into a full no trade clause. Obviously, they get around that by just DFA and just cutting the guy <laughs> and signing with whoever he wants at that point. So I'm curious to see what the Cubs end up doing with Hosmer because that deal still has another, at least another year on it on top of 2023, I believe. Obviously, they're just paying the minimum, and maybe that saves the Red Sox some money because they took on that minimum, which the Padres are picking up the rest of the tab of his contract. That's more me just wandering into the ether. I'm not looking for an answer from either one of you guys on that one. <laughs> just more, hey, if anybody's listening, they you know the answer to that. Tweet me, let me know. All right, guys, I think that is enough. Barely noticeable news items that we can go over this week. We're going to get into the art of streaming hitters in just a bit with Steve. Right now, we got to take a quick break.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, we are back. Of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe joined As always by Kevin Hastings and we are lucky to be joined by Steve Weimer here with us talking about how we talk, how we maximize plate appearances and at bats throughout the course of the season in through the art of streaming hitters. And Steve, obviously we want to pick your brain about it. You've been pretty vocal about the kind of work that you put in season to get as many plate appearances in streaming the hitters in the right situations. Can you talk to me about, first off, the difference between your strategy in when the free agent pool is a little bit more robust in a 12-teamer versus your 15-teamer, so in your online championships or versus your main events, or any other 12-teamers that you might play in versus any other 15-teamers?
3: So I actually haven't played in a 12-teamer for a few years now. But last year, Jeff Zimmerman, I don't know if you saw it, but he did a study for Fangraphs looking at trying to identify the replacement level in a few different formats, and he did the 12s and the 15s. And his method, as I understand it, was to find the players that were added and dropped the most over the course of the season and then figure out what their stats worked out to on a season-long basis. And it's up at Fangraphs, but the most striking, I guess, difference between the two formats was that average and steals were more readily available in a 12, which, which makes sense, I think. So if that's still holds, then I'd say it makes it more important to to target those in the 15-team format, right? Because they're not going to be available in season. Whereas in a 12, in a lot of senses, you have more flexibility, but that's another one that you don't necessarily have to prioritize those suits categories quite as much, again, to the extent that we can generalize from that study, which was 2021.
1: That's interesting, just because even from a 12-team standpoint, rather than a 15 standpoint, I focused your response there on that's an area in which maybe I'm not focusing in my draft as much knowing the replacement level on the wire is going to be a little bit more plentiful. So maybe it's not pushing up steals as much in my 12 teamers versus my 15 teamers rather than knowing that I have to focus on it more in my 15 teamers. Sure. But maybe that's just me because I'm focusing more on my 12 teamers this year (laughs) personally (laughs) than I am my 15 teamers. Kevin, do you like when you are streaming, whether it's hitters or pitchers, do you besides the actual research that Steve just mentioned with Jeff in your in the past have you focused more on a certain categories in your 12s versus your 15s or do you have a different strategy in those
2: i don't think so necessarily i just think in general as as we all know and makes sense that the replacement level is going to be more desirable in the 12 team leagues and I hadn't really broken it down by category. And when Steve mentioned that study, I vaguely remember that, but I had forgotten about it. And I, the first thing that popped in my head is, ooh, so I'm drafting power in 12 team leagues, right? That's the first place I went. Draft power, if we can find average and stolen bases on the wire more easily than in 15 team leagues, my head went right. Oh, okay. So 12 teams, we need to draft power.
1: So Steve, Steve, you're talking about you mentioned that average is more is one of the categories in which you can find on the wire, especially in the 12 team or more readily. But average is obviously a ratio that course goes throughout the course of the entire season. And when you're picking up guys for just a week at a time or even a half week at a time, sometimes that can be a little bit more hit or miss. So what like what matchups or what kind of situations are you looking for? I guess specifically when you're trying to bump up your average when it can, those small increments take a long time to build that up throughout the course of the season.
3: Yeah. No, no. I would hope to not have to try to stream for average, especially like my focus is on 15 team leagues and that's my mentality. But I want to ideally like draft a strong base and average and then I can stream for volume. Um, but if you're in this situation where you have to, using like weekly projections is a good, it's a good way to start. I know you guys have become park factors and mostly we talk about home runs, but there are park factors for mm-hmm. hits but, and also even just strikeouts you can look at. I assume the two are related, but some parks are better for strikeouts than others. And if you just want to get a player who's going to play a lot, so you're really confident that in whatever period they're streaming him, they're going to get his, at least two thirds of the start to whatever, and then uh, not strike out. That's the best <laughs> combination for, to, for making an impact on average, right? So to the, maximum number of bats where they're putting the ball in play. So yeah, looking at the ballpark, looking at the matchup in terms of pitchers that have a lower strikeout rate, batter to the lower strikeout rate, and trying to find a good combination there where you can hopefully rack up good, whatever it might be, like five or 12 weekend or something like that. Whatever. And do that a few times a month and you get an impact.
1: You talk about obviously strikeout fact, park factors with strikeouts and hits. How much are you putting into whether or not a guy is going to go, you might go, he might have 15 plate appearances or so, but if he walks five or six times, that's not doing much for your average as well. Are you playing, are you looking at, we had this conversation with Rob on pull hitter the other day about the interest of if a guy walks too much, he actually is going to do more harm than good in in the average category. Is that something that you're looking at?
3: Not really at the level, at, the, at like a season long level for sure. And, but if I'm looking at somebody for a week or half a week, I'm not saying I shouldn't consider it, but it's not really at the top of the list of the things that I'm looking at. I'm going to spend a lot more of my time making sure that they get the plate appearances than whether that plate appearance is going to end in a walk or in a bat, because I don't even know what good walk rates are. But, right, so like bad walk rates are like what 5% and good is 10%. So the chances of it making an impact over a weekend, I guess, would be pretty low. Again, it's one of those things in the aggregate that can add up. So the more, if you're streaming three roster spots, instead of one, then all of those things can become more important over the course of the season, even if they're not in any individual like weekend or lineup period, easy to predict and put a lot of weight on.
1: This goes back to Kevin, what you mentioned in our last episode. It's how much work do you want to be able to put in <laughs> to your teams when it comes to not only roster construction, but also team management and lineup construction throughout the course of the season, both twice a week, and how much you want to be paying attention to the matchups. And I venture to guess, like you said, Steve, it adds up. And so if you do have a matchup of a guy who has a high walk rate, going up against a, a bunch of pitchers that have a high walk rate, I would venture to guess that's going to be an area in that if you do that too many times, it's not going to help you enough in the average category, but it takes a lot more effort and work to do that, in in especially if you're in multiple leagues and you're uh, you're not, you just know that about yourself. You have to know that about yourself, whether or not you have the ability to manage that in that way. Before we get into my lot, I want you to talk to me about You said you had your success in both the main event and the draft champions, the difference between streaming hitters in a draft and hold versus a fab league where you can continuously make moves throughout the course of the season. And how does that factor into your draft strategy in a DC? Are you focused more on your when you when you get to your bench picks? and you're filling out those two or three or four second basemen, are you looking for guys that are going to, that you feel are going to play more often, or are you looking for guys that you think you can manipulate the platoon splits or reverse splits or whatever in such a way in season that you can get the most out of them? Yeah.
3: Um, probably a little bit of both, but leaning more towards the playing time and having people on the bench that you can use to fill in for injuries, or if you're really lucky, you can actually like have some choices to make, like more than one healthy person for each roster spot and play matchups a little bit. In Draft and Old, like the volume is king on the hitting side a little bit less than it used to be just based on 2022 versus 2021. I think that's something that that Rob's mentioned as well. And it was one of the things that I did in the forecast. was looking at the correlation between at-bats and total hitting points. And it went down a fair amount this past year. And I think that makes a little bit of sense. It could partially be random, but I think the offensive environment helps to explain it, right? Whereas with a bouncy ball, Anyone who plays a lot is probably going to volume their way into some home runs and some counting stats. And to the extent that the ball is dead, it's more about skill than just playing time to, to get those stats. So I think volume is still really important in the draft and hold especially, but not as important as it was a few years ago with a live year ball. And I think Kevin said on the, I think it was the last episode you guys had, like the market is getting wise to that. I think those kinds of, hitters that you can expect to play. They're not great, but they're like your air cosmos or whatever. You can expect them to get some playing time. It feels, having haven't studied this, like the test the ADP of a certain player type over time, but it certainly feels like they are in more demand in drafts, at least in draft and holds. So I think it's still really important to have the volume, to have hitters on your bench that you can expect to play pretty much full time because you're going to get injuries. You're going to need them, but it's a little less important than it used to be in terms of the correlation between volume and hitting points, and it's more expensive to acquire those kinds of players right? because people realize their value. So it does change the calculus a little bit, right? If everyone's paying up for those, like Kevin said, then maybe you need to end zag, I guess it would be a little bit, and there may be a market inefficiency in terms of those players that are in a platoon or maybe their prospects where their playing time is a little less certain, but could be better on a per plate appearance basis. So I think it's, it makes it interesting, right? It's this, mm-hmm. The formula is always changing right? in different ways. The market is changing. The office environment is changing more than perhaps we'd like it to. And I still think the volume is important, but it's not as simple as it was a few years ago where this is clearly like the path to success is to take advantage of the fact that everyone else is going to be drafting prospects that aren't going to play. And you just gobble up the veterans with big contracts who are going to play and you'll beat those people in at least the four hitting accounting stats. And it's... Again, like you can't, I'm not saying totally go away from that, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that, than in at least last year. And I expect it to be for this draft season as well.
1: Yeah, two or three years ago, I was that person that everybody was beating up on because I couldn't help myself but to pick up the shiny new toy later on in drafts that I thought might make their way up. And maybe they did. They didn't get that kind of, they didn't get the playing time. They didn't, it doesn't matter how good they are if they're not on the field. And so I was, I was definitely in that group and made my adjustments last year and hopefully zigging and zagging at the same time going into 2023. Kevin, is there any other clarifying point that you want to make on that point that keeps being brought up over and over ever since <laughs> you made it between Rob and now Steve and this is directed at Steve's work, of course. <laughs> but it, yeah, I think you made a good point on with Rob and I think it's worth clarifying your stance on that aspect.
2: Yeah, I think the clarification I made when we were on Poll Hitter Pod that I believe is coming out oh, will be out by the time this episode we're recording is out. But yeah, I think I to clarify, I think this is more of a draft season aspect that I'm looking at that I think there's inefficiencies here and an opportunity to get some value on some of these players, especially strong side platoon players especially as I foresee more teams transitioning to playing more matchups. Like we we all know it was Tampa. We've seen the giants do it quite a bit. And I think this is going to become more and more. There's just not going to be enough players that to play full time to, to fill our rosters, especially in 15 team leagues. It's not going to exist as we're drafting. I'm not going to worry about if two players, in fact, if two players have the same counting stats and one of them's doing it in less projected playing time, that player theoretically is more valuable with the less playing time because in season then is when we're going to do the manipulation per scoring period, per lineup period to maximize the plate appearances. I think in draft season, is what I need to clarify is where I'm more looking at opportunities with some of the guys that we may not believe are going to get as many at bats and innings pitch for pitchers as well. So yeah, that was a clarification when I made with Rob and I think too, and I think Steve alluded to this as I I think the maximizing is still very important, but for me, it's going to be more of an in season thing. During draft season, I'm going to try to take advantage of some of the values I see with guys that can put up the counting stats in less at-bats.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, it was worth re-mentioning for sure. And we got a lot more to get into with Steve about streaming hitters. We got to take another quick break. All right, Steve, the last couple things I wanted to touch on is basically the timing in which you in the the timing and the volume in which you stream your hitters or at least on a regular basis whether we'll stick with 15 teamers here because that's where all the experience is but like how many positions on your roster are you comfortable especially in a 15 teamer where the player pool is not as robust are you willing to dedicate almost to a streaming position throughout the course of the season or at any one given time
3: Yeah, so it depends on the the strength of your roster, but hopefully not more than one or two. In a 15-team league, I'm not going to cut a hitter who's useful and has full-time value or a usable starting pitcher to stream for a half week, right? So just hold on to the more valuable hitter. But it's not quite inevitable, but almost inevitable. You're going to have some injuries and some people lose their job and things like that. And you have a roster spot or two or three to play around with and churn. And then depending on team needs, they might all be directed at streaming hitters, maybe a closer speculation. Ideally, if we're talking about like a seven-man bench, at least four of those are like solid players that I want to hold on to and stream from my bench, be it hitters or pitchers. And at most, kind of three of those spots that are churning, like I said, probably at least one of those streaming hitters, but it all depends on what you get. Like sometimes you just luck into a draft where you end up with like 16 or 17, like full-time valuable hitters. And then it becomes less necessary and you've got the flexibility to use that roster spot, which is a hugely valuable resource, especially in a 15 team league. Like that, each roster spot is something you want to hold on to and be very thoughtful about how you use any given week. So there's definitely times when it makes sense. The best use of that spot is a hitter that you're going to play, probably get two starts out of and cut the next week. But there are lots of times where there, there are more valuable ways to, to use that roster spot so yeah maybe one maybe three hopefully not more than that i think things are going terrible if it's more than that yeah fair enough
1: but it also makes you realize hey you have to be willing to make these cuts and make these adjustments and not hold on to guys too long and be i'm almost willing to go up to that three or even four in a really bad situation streaming spots knowing that in order to make a make a the jump up in your standings or in different categories, you're going to have to make those rotations throughout the course of the season, even if it's early on in the season, if things are just not going the way you had planned it after your draft. At what point, Steve, do you do you switch? or Maybe you don't. Maybe you do it the whole time, but... Clarify on this, like, at what point do you start switching from streaming just the best hitter available to get every best stat to focusing on specific stats to rank, to jump you up both in a, in a league format and in an overall format?
3: Yeah, I think ideally it should be like a matter of degree on both, like starting where you're mostly just going for best player, but in certain situations, even at the beginning of the season, if you come out of the draft, knowing a team has a particular weakness then you want to maybe stream with an eye to that. And we're saying stream as if we always know that someone sure. is a stream. Like sometimes it's like that, like for this weekend, maybe more, like this player could be worth holding on to. But especially if you know you have a certain deficiency, then you know you want to lean more towards that. And if it's steals, then maybe stream for steals, Right, looking at pitcher matchups and steams you can run on and so forth. But also if, that, if it goes well that way, just roll with it. Keeping an eye on particular category needs, if you know you have them, if you've drafted a balanced team, then great, you can just go with best available. But keeping an eye on whatever category needs you recognize, even at the very beginning of the season, because again, those players could be worth holding on to, and then you've got them for months, but gradually becoming more short-sighted, both in terms of the time period that you're going for and the categories that you're shooting for like as the season progresses. And it becomes more clear to you what a particular home run is worth to you as opposed to what a particular steal is worth to that particular team. Balance Ooh. out
1: then the fear, and I talked about this with Rob, like the fear of dropping a guy that's not useful to you, but could be useful to somebody else in your league. So again, if you're focusing on stolen bases, and you've got a guy who you know has a lot of power, but will not do that for you, when do you shift the focus? I'm like, you know what, this guy does not do me any good. I got to send him off and get somebody into stream that can help me, my team personally, while not worrying about whether or not this power guy is going to help team B that needs that might need the power. I don't
3: pay much attention to that. (laughs) Maybe I should, but I'm usually focused on my team and how it projects to do and what I need. And I guess it is late in the season because it's hard to predict, right? If you, there's 14 teams that can pick the person up. So I think it'd be very easy to to overly focus on the worst case scenario, which is that the one team who would most benefit from this player and hurt you in the standings is the team that gets them. I guess later in the season that it becomes easier to predict as you see who has fab dollars, who's still active, what the categorical needs of each team are. But I think it'd be a pretty rare situation where I really put up too much weight on that. I think, yeah, just the even if I'm trying to think this through, but the points for you are just as valuable as holding, or I guess, preventing points from someone who's chasing you, right? They all not sure. up in the standings the same. So if that would put it on an equal, waiting, then, or equal footing, but then you need to take into account the probability. Like you know who you are going to roster and start, but you don't know necessarily what the opponent is going to do, who's going to pick it up. Someone else might outbid them. They might not use them, even if they do get them. So I think it's just, there's more, it Makes more sense. There's more certainty to look at the things that you can control as opposed to what if scenarios with opponents. For the most part, again, there could be exceptions, right, where you really are down to the wire in a person's tendencies and their needs are very glaring. So they are going to go big on to the speed guy if you drop them, right? But again, maybe that's the weekend where they're like out with their family. They don't win <laughs> anyways. Right? So it's just, uh, It's.
1: I find it really funny to think about. We talk about baseball players. And we talk about what they can do in a new environment, what they can do with a different matchup in the intricacies of their swing path and what have you. And it translates really, it translates in a lot of ways to a high stakes fantasy league as well. There are a lot of other variables that go into managing your team and picking the players that you want to pick up while worrying about what your your opponents are doing at the same time that there are a lot of aspects of a player that maybe they make an, an effect on how they perform, but we don't weight them as highly. We talk, there are some people that talk about, we don't worry about park factors. They don't worry about this. They don't worry about that. They're not making a much of an impact in, in their decision making. And I think that the intricacies of a fantasy league are very similar in that respect. There are aspects that are going to make an impact, but maybe they're just not worth waiting, waiting too much on as the season goes on. And you hit that a little bit right there in your response. So I appreciate that. Kevin, is there anything else that you keep in mind when you are, as you said, this is going to be a focus of yours. The season is focusing in season on maximizing those plate appearances or those at bats. Is there any other additional uh, tendencies that you'll be utilizing throughout the course of the season that well, besides the obvious, the platoon splits that you're talking about earlier that are worth discussing?
2: I, I think, Just being careful with ratios. Steve was talking earlier in the aspect of improving batting average, not really something uh, that he, one, hopes it doesn't need to happen because that's going to be a focus in his draft as a nice batting average base, but then typically not being enough at bats to, to really help. But on the flip side, I think if we do get to that point where Steve mentioned you hope to not get to where you're streaming three guys in a scoring period, then you really got to be careful because if we have our catcher two and we don't worry about his average because that's all catcher twos and then we're throwing a couple of guys in here and there to early in the season that were are ah oh, it's just a few at bats it's not going to hurt me much and the next thing you know you're streaming a couple of guys like this each and every week all of a sudden you got one and a half or two joey gallows in your lineup on a regular basis without really realizing that's where the point you've gotten to so i think just being careful and paying attention to the ratios one other aspect of this that i try to keep in mind
1: all right well i think we picked your guys. I picked your guys' brain a little bit enough on the aspect of streaming hitters. So let's talk about some player situations. And we're gonna. I'm gonna. Pl- we. I'm gonna bring this game back that we played last year a little bit of a couple of episodes. I call ask or avoid stream keep. I'm gonna give you guys three players. These and the players that I'm choosing where we had two on the, on the wire listener leagues that have completed. Actually, by the time we're done recording this, Kevin, we'll, we'll be starting the third draft kicks off at noon today on Thursday. But this, the first two, I put together a bunch of players that were drafted in one, but not second of those early drafts but back in November and December. So they're going to be available in, on the wire in half of these leagues, at least as of, as of right now. And I want you guys to take, it's, <laughs> I want you to take one of them, one of them you have to roster. You have the roster that you feel comfortable that they will be useful all season. Preferably, you want to keep them in your lineup all season. The second player of this threesome, you'll be you'll stream throughout the course of the season, assuming that they are available on the wire and they don't hit a hot streak and get picked up by somebody else. And then the third one is the guy that you would end up avoiding all season, regardless of what you think you'd be avoiding throughout the course of the season. Avoid stream keep Steve, I'm gonna keep i'm gonna kick it off to you here i'm gonna go with some outfielders these are all these outfielders are over the age of 30 and like i said they've been drafted in half of our listener league so far and those are 12 teamers and so these are going to be guys that more than likely to be drafted in just about every 15 teamer even with fab maybe they don't stay on your, they, maybe they still end up streaming in that capacity but right now we're just going to focus on 12 teamers just a little bit more relevant player we have jorge soler in Miami, Charlie Blackman still in Colorado, and then Avasale Garcia are the threesome here. Which one of these guys are you avoiding all season? Which one would you be streaming all season? Which one would you feel comfortable rostering throughout the course of the year, do you think?
3: I'm going to stream the Rocky Sitter. <laughs> so I like that you started off with an easy one there. There
1: we go. I get you the softball. <laughs>
3: yeah. So I look at Charlie Blackman's home stats last year project to like full season of 80 runs 18 homers 85 rbis 284 average right that's the pace he he hit home which is basically like zander bogarts without steals if i can stream that from the wire i'll do that sorry do you want so i go off through all three or okay all right keep jorge soler skills were mostly the same i think last year so if he's healthy he'll be worth having and then my process of the nation affording Avi Garcia, which is a little sad because I had a lot of Avi Garcia and I've always liked him, but uh, unlike Soler, he's, his skills did look a lot worse last year and I'm less confident about him being useful throughout the season.
1: Yeah. I, I made sure to give this one to you because I wanted to keep the Rockies hitters away from Kevin. As we all, you have know, heard Kevin talk about Rockies hitters a couple episodes, but Kevin, I will ask you about Blackman in the stream and the fact that Steve picked him to be a streamer. Um, Would you be more likely to roster Blackman all year and then stream him, make make him a team streamer, knowing that not risk somebody else wanting to stream a Rockies hitter off the wire and get as many of those at bats as you can? As you mentioned, at least before, you can manipulate your NFBC, you can manipulate it so you can still stream on your own team and get those at bats from Rockies hitters. Is that something, which direction would you end up going?
2: The fact that it's Charlie Blackman makes this closer to, for me than it would be with any other Rocky. I just think it's the fact that he's been in Colorado so long. He's the veteran that understands maybe a little better the adjustments he needs to make when they go on the road. He had almost half of his home runs on the road. He, he had seven on the road and nine at course last season, and he still hit two forty-one, which is not great about league average for batting average these days but far better than other most other rockies would hit on the road so it is a little closer for me but in the end i would roll with the exactly the same way steve laid it out
1: all right kevin then i will give you the youngsters in the outfield that went undrafted in half these leagues so these are outfielders who are under the age of 30 got drafted in one out of the two completed leagues so far. We have Brandon Marsh, we have Dylan Carlson, and then Chaz McCormick. What order would you take these three guys with the stipulation that you've got to keep one all year round, you can stream the second one, and you can't pick up the third one all year?
2: Since I'm debating between not using two of these players i guess that makes the third one the guy i would keep all season so that's brandon marsh the other two it it seems crazy to say that about dylan carlson but it's we haven't seen a lot of production from him yet i'm a big post type guy so something to pay attention to here but i think brandon marsh going back to playing time i think his defense will keep him a very good lineup and he has shown flashes of giving us nice fantasy production especially if they turn him loose a little more on the base paths with the new rules coming into effect in 2023 he'd be my guy because of the potential and the post type thing that I brought up and at least for now still going to get the playing time as well we think in St. Louis I'm not going to let Dylan Carlson go quite yet I use him as my streamer. I like Chaz McCormick. He's a fun player to watch play. I just think with Brantley coming back, him and Alvarez, one of them is going to have to be in the outfield if they want both of them in the lineup. And I'd be a little more worried about Chaz, so I'd let him go.
1: Yeah. What kind of thoughts do you have on that playing time, Steve? What What Kevin was talking about, obviously, his concerns with Carlson and McCormick is more about playing time than anything else, and that's why Marsh- ended up being his keeper, but how much, when you're thinking about streaming a player like Carlson or McCormick, does playing time come into account in this exercise specifically? Are you more worried about, if you, would you rather stream somebody you're not sure about playing time because you can just stream them whenever, but you might lose out on the guy that is playing regularly. So it's more of an upside play versus a, a guy that you think is gonna play more often.
3: Yeah, if you can keep him on the bench, I'd go for the upside. I'd go with Marsh there too. It depends on the rules of the exercise. If you have to keep him in the lineup all year, I think Marsh is a little risky. Like he may be able to make a little bit of progress versus lefties and and the defense keeps him in. I think it's also possible he's in a platoon. But I'd definitely like him more on a a per game basis. If you have the option of moving him in and out, then I think he's a more appealing player there. Yeah, and I think he's, I don't know. It certainly seems like post-hype, and whether you're looking at the pedigree or like the Statcast metrics, like he's got the, some of the building blocks there to take a bigger step forward than I think we would expect from Carlson or McCormick at this point. So he's definitely the most appealing to, to roster. I think maybe not start all the time.
1: <laughs> Especially in this environment, we're talking about the 12 teamers. Uh, maybe he becomes a little bit more relevant in a 15 teamer when you, your options become a little bit more limited later on in your drafts, but I see what you're saying here. All right, let's kick. I got a threesome of free a, current free agents. If I'm, We had not talked about them today, so I believe that they're all still free agents out there. Steve, I'll kick this one out to you. And obviously, this is if you're drafting right now, not knowing where they are going to be playing. You don't know what their playing time is going to look like because you don't know the environment in which they're going to be in. But we still have on the market jerks and profar, Elvis Andrews and Trey Mancini, which one of these guys are you think that you'd be comfortable right now keeping on your roster all year round? Which one do you think you'll stream regardless of where they are and which one you have less confidence in no matter where they go, you're gonna avoid?
3: Yeah. So I think this is all I think this was pretty much all about playing time for me. And I think Driss is the most likely to have a full time job. He's been the most valuable in large part, thanks to the defense the last couple of years. So he's the one I'd keep if I have to roster him. Year, we know what we're getting for the most part. It's not going to be the second half of last year, but it's not going to be too hurtful either. I guess I'd stream Mancini, he's got pretty significant splits, so he might be like to be streaming against some lefties. He did fall like he lost playing time last year on the Astros. I doubt he signs with a team like that. He should be pretty secure for playing time wherever he signs, but I think less so than Andres. And then I'm avoiding profar. I think I'm least confident in his playing time, which is still, be, it's a decent bet that he'll get close to full time playing time, but I'm least confident in it. And he really needs volume to contribute a lot of worthwhile stats. I think
1: even we saw him out of last year, even the difference between batting leadoff and not batting leadoff, even though he's playing on a regular basis for San Diego made all the difference in what he was able to produce. So yeah, I echo that for sure. I am very curious to see where Mancini goes. All the rumors were had him going to the Cubs or at least negotiating with the Cubs. But now that they brought in Eric Hosmer, you got to wonder, if you got to assume that's off the table. Maybe not. Maybe they find a different role for him, but I'm very curious to see where Mancini goes. I'm, I don't think he is an overseas candidate per se, but he's the type of guy that if everything else dries up, I wouldn't be totally shocked to see that. But that's usually my go to answer for any of these guys <laughs> that haven't signed yet. <laughs> well, that's always an option. Be careful. All right. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to end it here. Kevin, I'm going to have you, Steve, I want to get your take on these guys as well, but we're going to go with some rookies. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the stashes and, Every, we're not going to talk about catchers. I'm just not going to talk about catchers. <laughs> we're going to talk about these rookies. Two of the three of these rookies do have some experience from last year, but they've kept their rookie status going into 2023. The third one here has not made his debut yet, but is expected to, if not opening day, very early on. And then we're talking about Alec Thomas in Arizona, Oscar Colas, who has not made his debut yet in Chicago, and then Esther Ruiz, who now finds a home in Oakland, After spending time in Milwaukee and San Diego last year, Kevin, which one of these guys are streaming? Which one are you avoiding and which one are you keeping all year round?
2: Fortunately, I'm avoiding Alec Thomas. As of right now, it doesn't even look like he'll be on the 26 man roster for heading into the season. And that's not even taking into account what happens with some more of their young players and. Christian Robinson's legal issues may be cleared up here in a few weeks and then he's back in the picture as well so I just his performance last season I he still could turn out to be a great major league baseball player but I just don't have confidence in that for 2023 at this point the guy I'm going to keep in my lineup is Asturio Ruiz and he may not get the plate appearances, but I think he will to begin the season. And then even if he's not in the lineup to start each game, he's still a threat to come in and give us what we're asking from him anyway, later in the game. And that's, it's all about stolen bases. If your roster is constructed in such a way that you don't have to get the power runs and RBI from a spot in your lineup, you can't do too many spots like this, but if you are going to, the ever-so-popular Rabbit, he's the guy there, and that can continue even if he doesn't play in the starting lineup every day. That leaves Colas for me as the streamer. I do think we see him at some point. I don't have a lot of confidence in him, but I think for 2023, I have more than I do in Alec
1: Thomas. The grouping I kept out of this conversation, and I'll loop in now, and I direct this towards you, Steve, are the stashes. And when do these stashes become more valuable than these rookies who have experience? And I the stashes I'm talking about are guys that I don't expect them to be up on opening day, but would expect them to be part of quote unquote Fabapalooza at some point early on in the season, in the first half, at least. I mean, that's the list here. These are all again drafted these. The beauty of doing a 12-team fab league in November is that I feel you can take a whole lot more chances with your final seven picks of the draft, knowing that you've a lot of things can change in four months and you can make your adjustments in that first week of fab or even the second week of fab if you want to hold on to him a little bit longer and that was anthony volpe kyle manzardo and sal Frelick. milwaukee manzardo of tampa bay and volpe of course of the yankees when do these guys or guys like this become more valuable or more interesting than the rookies that we just talked about who either have experience or are more in tune with having experience early on in the season with a quote quote guaranteed role you have a preference on on, on those guys?
0: Not really. I'm not
3: much of a prospect expert or anything, but I would worry about experience only in so far as it speaks to playing time. The the player with experience is, is probably more likely to have a clearer path to the job. Like they've seen him as ready to some extent or at least in some situation before. So yeah, factor it in there. But on most of that, I'm not... I'm rarely making my own judgments. It's more hearing what people who are experts on prospects say about who's ready and hearing what beat writers say about who's most likely to make the team and so forth. As a general rule, I'd expect the more experienced players who've been in major leagues to to get that first crack.
1: So in this scenario, then these three stashes, I'm taking it. None of them would, if I grouped all six of these guys together, none of those three stashes would end up being the player that you would take the risk on rostering all year round for the upside of what they could produce if they were given that opportunity?
3: Yeah. So the potential matters too. I might, depending on format, like if you're talking about a 12-team Fab League, I might go for Manzardo or Frelick over Alec Thomas, who yeah, had the experience, but for the reasons Kevin said, I'm not sure if he's any more likely to start off for the team than someone like Frelek. And Manzardo, it's that balance in between, I think he's probably less likely to play, but if he did, it would make a bigger impact. And there's definitely times where it makes sense to take that kind of shot, like if, especially if you have a decent pool of replacement players available maybe on, on, on your waiver wire and a Word league. And then,
1: would you echo Kevin's sentiments about the Rabbits or the Esther Reese's situation? Would you be more likely to hold on to somebody like that, knowing what you're going to get? As long as. He does what you want him to do. Are you more likely to hold on to somebody who ultimately is maybe a one category player that maybe he doesn't hurt you in runs, but mostly you're just getting him for the stolen bases. His power is not going to play too well in Oakland, I'm sure. But is that one category with an extreme outcome enough to hold on to somebody like that? Or is he doing more harm to the rest of your, the rest of your categories that is not somebody that you'd want on your roster on a
3: regular basis? If you have the option of holding him on your bench, then I like the play because you can, he seems to be, he profiles the kind of player Ruiz that is to make a big impact, right? In steals over a short period of time when he is in the lineup and has good matchups and so forth. But from what I've read, there's a possibility he just can't hit, right? I wouldn't, (laughs) <laughs> if, I, if I was committing to keep him in the roster all year, I'd be more comfortable probably with Colas. I'm timid and cowardly by nature. And I think the downside of Ruiz is probably a little bit lower than for Colas, who seems like he's at least going to play.
1: Yeah, that that's fair. I think we talked, I think the example we come up with in the last year or two oh, is Clint. always Roman Quinn where you feel like you could stream him for a half a week and still get three stolen bases, even if he doesn't actually start a game, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> he, find, he finds a way to steal bases without having any plate appearances. Um, and I, yeah, I guess I'd be afraid that Ruiz would fall into that. I've already drafted to Ruiz, and I think two or three drafts so far. I'm all about hoping, seeing what he can do at the beginning, but that is the fear. That's in, so I will echo Steve, the things that you've read and the things that you're looking at when it comes to the rabbit of Estrella Ruiz in his new environment in Oakland. All right. I think that's it's a fun little exercise to be like, to really think about the type of player that you trust to be on your roster all year. And these are the last picks that you're making in a 12 teamer. They're going to be a little bit more well rostered in a 15 teamer, at least to start the season and depending on performance. They might be make it onto your wire. They might be willing. They might be able to be streamed as well in those environments. But yeah, in a 12 teamer, you can make a little bit more risk in those final round picks. I'm going to end it there. Kevin, I'm going to give you the opportunity, of course, to close this out here with any other additional pieces, words of wisdom for anybody listening to part one of this streaming series that we're doing. Yeah,
2: I don't have anything huge, but it just as we were talking about this kind of struck me as this whole concept and of streaming hitters or maximizing at bats however we want to look at it is pretty fluid throughout the season it's really on a case-by-case basis of how your team is performing how their health is and i think we have to be ready to change our philosophy or philosophy excuse me at any moment throughout the season and decide oh this isn't Eric Hosmer as my corner isn't working out. We, we need to go find somebody. So I don't think it's something that's really set in stone and something that we need to keep our minds open to changing. However, it is we're doing it throughout the season.
1: Yeah, you got to be able to adjust at any given time in any different area, depending on what your what your draft gives you, what your league is giving you throughout the course of the season and go from there. So I think those are good words to live by there. Steve. Thanks man for taking the time and joining us. It's been an honor. Can you let everybody know who made it all the way through where they can find you, where they can find you, anything else that you might be working on? I know you've got pieces in the forecaster, like I said, the FTN draft guide, anything else that you might be working on worth keeping an eye out?
3: I'm gonna start doing some strategy articles for Baseball HQ here. I think pretty soon they're gonna start ramping up content on the website. Yeah, that'll be it I think for the next few months. And perhaps through the season as well, but try to get at least two or three out between now and opening day. Nice.
1: Yeah, nice. Everybody should be checking out Steve's work, of course, at Baseball HQ.
2: You don't Um, have to talk anybody into that. They'll be ready.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know what? On that note, I think that's going to wrap it up for episode 96 of On the Wire. We will be back, of course, throughout the offseason. We have part two of the streaming series. With Nick Pollock talking about streaming pictures should come out actually the day after this episode or maybe the same weekend at least. So make sure you're following and you're subscribing to the feed so you can get all the, all that information. Make sure you're sharing and reviewing the podcast wherever you are listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at Degree. that's all spelled out. Kevin is at hastin kevin and of course follow the pod itself at on the wire pod. I'd like to once again thank our guest Steve Weimer for joining us. You can follow him on the Twitter at Steve Y M E R and watch the NFBC lobby and see if you can jump in a draft with them as well and test, test your luck there. After all that, I am Adam Howe and on behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. And we bid you goodbye.